0: He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now.
1: Hey, Slick Talkers, I promise I'll be quick, but all of the podcasts in the hospitality.fm podcast network are doing an audience survey where we want to figure out what you like, what maybe you don't like, and what continues to bring you back to the show or what made you click on the show in the first place. So if you could check out the show notes, there is a quick survey for you to fill out. We're going to be running this through all of
0: January and maybe some of February. With that being said, back to the episode. I think there was a lot that I gave up to join Gimlet, but at the time I was very excited too to give it up because I felt like I was onto something with the pitch, but I wasn't fully equipped to execute on the vision that I had. I had a really big vision for the show to just to be huge. And I needed help. I needed support. I truly needed a network and the education of how how to run the process, how to put together the team. It was something that I lacked. So... I was more than happy to join.
1: You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. What's up, Slick Talkers? This episode is brought to you by my friends at Hostfully, and their property management software is the best-in-class solution for hosts and managers alike. They integrate with the best tech solutions out there like operation software, dynamic pricing, insurance, noise monitoring, you name it, they've got it. And guess what? You can also get their digital guidebook solution as well in order to make sure you aren't printing out or writing down guidebook and activities and house manual items for your guests. All you need to do is create their digital guidebook, link it with the property management software, and voila you're ready to rock and roll getting your guests in and out with a breeze. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes in order to get our special offer for all of our listeners. And now, back to the episode. All right, Slick Talkers, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I'm excited because, as I was saying before even jumping onto this recording with my guests here, this episode is much more for me than it is you, and I really hope you get to enjoy it. So I want to welcome Josh Muccio onto the podcast today. My friend, it's great to meet you in person. First off, after hearing you for the last year and a half on my, my own you know, AirPods and headphones and all that stuff. So I just want to say welcome and thank you for being a guest today. Absolutely, Will. Thanks for having me. Of course. And so for all the listeners, I want you to understand, maybe this voice will sound familiar to you if you listen to his podcast, but I became a listener of... The pitch—it's a podcast on all the platforms you can find now, and it's really about founders and startups pitching their company and idea to this room of investors. And of course, Josh is the host who gets to narrate. And it's just like got a really cool sound and feel to it. Well, it's during like COVID, Tank, I got it's like Shark Tank, but better, 100. <laughs> it's more real. That's a great way to describe it. It's like Shark Tank, but better because I feel like, like Shark thing Tank. You you like... About Shark
0: Tank, get rid
1: of it. That's <laughs> yeah. the pitch. A hundred percent. And it's like Shark Tank gives you the highlights. But this show, the podcast that you guys have created over the years has really just kind of gotten like the meat and bones of founders and entrepreneurs and kind of the businesses that they create. So, Josh, without me kind of butchering the pitch in its form and, and glory that it is, I want you to kind of maybe just kind of start us off to a little bit about you and your background prior to even podcasting and what yeah. got
0: you into starting the show. So I'm going to actually take it back to my senior year in college. So this was 2000 and, oh gosh, 2010. And this was my senior paper class. So, you know, end of my finance degree and the dean of the school of business thought it would be super cool to give students a chance to pitch their business ideas to Mm. different business people, you know, in the area. And so they actually created a Shark Tank like panel and brought these like kind of investors and business people into our school and we got a chance to pitch these ideas. Of course, it was a little ridiculous in that we had to figure out a way to turn a profit in three months, which was, you know, looking back now like a pretty impossible undertaking. (laughs) So we ended up all just like, you know, doing really simple businesses. And mine was like, you know, maybe I can build a business that does uh, like screen repairs and things like that. And so I pitched it and the whole like cover, (laughs) I remember my opening slide my pitch in this room was like broken iPhones make girls cry because my girlfriend slash fiance at the time had broken her phone immediately after, after she got it and I had bought it for her. So I had to feel the pain of that, had to figure out how to get it fixed. So we started a business out of that. And so long story short, that business started as a side project in, in school. And then I actually shelved it for a year, came back on the website and found that we had like 300 people on the website every single day searching for screen repairs for, uh, at the time it was iPads that we were mainly optimizing for. And and it was about that time that I got laid off from my job in accounting because of the, this was in 2010. So we're still dealing with like Mm -hmm. housing recession and stuff in the industry I was working in. And so I got laid off and went full-time on this business. And within a couple months, we had replaced our salary at the time and then grew that business. We did like ship and repairs all over the country, uh, built that and sold it in 2015. And then Mm -hmm. uh, that was what eventually led us to start the podcast.
1: So did you ever call the dean of that school again and be like, hey, remember that silly like little pitch competition you guys had us do in college? (laughs) Uh, Well, I actually did it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I did. And actually we had still like some of our profit from that little project. Was tied up in inventory, and it took us a while to sell it. So we had to go back and say, "Oh, but no." With like the pitch, like, did I ever come back in, like in the past couple of years and say something? <laughs> I actually don't want to. So that dean is, I... <laughs> Yes, yes, we did. He's he actually <laughs> died now. Oh, so man, we... that was one of the things we said in memorial, um, mm. to him on I, I think on uh, Instagram was just the impact that he made for me. So
1: yeah, well, it's crazy to think of how something. At the time, you're probably thinking, okay, like this is just a part of my school. I'm just trying to get to my degree. So I'm going to create, you know, obviously it was really relatable at that time yeah. for you. Like Beyonce broke her iPhone. I bought it for her. Yeah. Great. Here's like well, a simple, easy grab.
0: And the real reason why I did it is because the alternative was you would write a much longer paper if you didn't start your own business. The paper was shorter if you started the business. Wow. That's crazy. So that's it all turned out to actually. <laughs> But sometimes laziness creates the best
1: entrepreneurs. And I would love to see maybe from your standpoint, that's you know, a quote. You, <laughs> uh, I think this <laughs> creates the best entrepreneurs. <laughs> I don't think that's my quote. I think Steve Jobs said that somewhere on uh, some kind of article or something like that. Definitely not me. I don't know. Does, is that true? You've gotten to hear so many pitches and conversations through your podcast that would you assume maybe it started off from a simple idea that was just like, ah, uh, i Really didn't want to do this. I saw this as a problem and create a simple solution.
0: I mean, I think finding businesses that capitalize on people's laziness makes a ton of Mm -hmm. sense, right? Like, that's why Mm -hmm. Amazon is so huge. But I wouldn't normally associate my own laziness with a good business idea. Gotcha.
1: That's a whole other topic for another day we can go into. But
0: With the idea of the pitch. So
1: walk me through, because I know what it's like to start a podcast. I know was like to do it very bootstrapped very scrappy versus now today where we're like coming up with ideas and like a think tank basically so kind of walk us through one i am curious too did you expect the pitch to become as big as it has gotten or do you think it was more of a again kind of like hey this was a great idea i just want to see how it goes and have fun
0: no so from the start we were trying to make the pitch like a full-time endeavor it was never okay. People, people always ask, so do you do the podcast full-time? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I have been for years. And you know, in the beginning, it was not. So there's actually, we've been doing this long enough, there's like three phases of our journey, maybe four. The first was like our independent phase. The second was our kind of like Gimlet getting picked up by a network phase, which is probably when mm-hmm. you first started listening to the show. And then yep. our third was, we'll call it the acquisition phase where you know we got by well no we'll call it our big tech phase because we got bought Mm -hmm. by spotify and and then our fourth is we're resetting and going back to an independent show (laughs) this year so we started you know as an independent podcast we i was actually doing another show called the daily hunt and we had about 400 people listening to that show love all 400 of those people really appreciate them but it was not enough to sustain us at all it was not a great business but we were kind of you know, living off of the sale, you know, the funds that we had in the bank, our savings from the sale Mm -hmm. of our first business. So we had some time to invest in trying different things out. Well, anyway, this first podcast didn't really go anywhere, but it allowed me to network with people in Silicon Valley and Mm -hmm. met this investor who was like, hey, I'd been kind of playing around with the idea of starting a podcast like Shark Tank. Uh, A couple other people had this idea because we were doing a podcast in tech and it just was like, there isn't something like Shark Tank, but like you could do it, Josh. And it was like one of those things where I, I didn't think I could, but enough people kept saying it. I was like, maybe there's some, maybe I should. And so by the time this investor reached out, his name was Shiel Manat. I was like, all right, let's do it. If I've got a connection in Silicon Valley, let's pull this off. And mm-hmm. so we did this. We started this in 20, 2015 and we did it for a year and it was all remote. Like we never had founders and investors in the same room. Like you would expect from a Shark Tank like show. And unfortunately, as much as we tried, we never got real investments happening on the show. And it drove me crazy because it was like this. I want this to be real. And the feedback Mm -hmm. I kept getting was like real investors don't make decisions on the spot. And I was like, "Ah, there's got to be some real investors out there who will who will make a decision on the spot. So we did 55 episodes where nobody ever got investment. And then finally, you know, I started this with my co-founder was Lisa, my wife. Mm-hmm. And she and I were both like, all right, let's give this thing one last try. It wasn't paying the bills. And so in 2016, we were like, you know, oh, I want to I say we probably had like, I think, 10,000 listeners per episode at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, but it, again, it wasn't enough money off of ads to, to make a full time living. So that's when we were like, all right, let's go big time. And that's when we did a recording event out in Silicon Valley. And that's when we had over a million dollars committed to 12 companies. And we were like, oh, shoot. Now we're on to something. You guys were like, damn, we accidentally
1: kind of figured it out. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Coming from remote, because remote's not easy in general. Like you can set up, it's a lot of coordinating, especially when you have investors and pitches. And then you have to be kind of like, a fly on the wall in the room so now bringing that to an in-person event
0: did that translate as the same it, no not at all not at all and in fact, I'll never go back to remote for the for the format of our show there's like something special about having everybody in the same room that lended to investment happening. I think just having that in-person reaction and having that in person seeing someone how they respond live and how they how they act right I think I guess maybe it's the nonverbal I don't know maybe it's even just the pressure cooker environment of being in front of these you know, five investors and being vulnerable for an hour, like, it's like, you really get to see what someone's made of. And it actually, you know, that, that kind of vulnerability is what actually led to investment. Whereas I think on the show, when it was the old version and it was just remote, it was like, it was real chit chatty. It got real chummy at times. It was like, oh, you know, so-and-so we're bros now. Like it just didn't, it it wasn't the right feel. It It wasn't landing. Um, but once we put everybody in the same room, it's it was a whole different story. And I think that's been the formula we've been replicating and just doing over and over again, multiple times a year doing these recording events. That's what's, you know, propelled the show to where, I mean, there's a lot more to it, right? Like there's distribution yeah. and how we market the show, how we talk about it. There's the narrative structure of each episode itself and the cutting and the music. Like there's a lot to it, but I think it started at that recording event where we brought everybody together.
1: Was it as produced in the first 55 episodes as it is now with the cutting, the music, the narration, you know, the, it's more of a storytelling, like every episode you kind of are really creating like chapters and kind I don't know, the
0: narration part really does add something to it. I mean, I hope because we slave over it. (laughs) So, you know, in the beginning it was not, we tried, I was a huge fan of the startup podcast by Alex Bloomberg. Um, and that's ultimately what led us to join Gimlet in February of 2017. But before that, you know, I would just, I would hear what they would do and then I would try to replicate it, you know, on my own. But I mm-hmm. didn't really understand the value of building a team of editors, producers, sound engineers, composers, and having them all work together. And I think that's what I learned. You know, what I got out of my time at Gimlet was really that process, that narrative mm-hmm. Audio engine and how to build that process and that team that creates that end result that's really well crafted, that's easy to listen to and flows and you know has has tension where it needs to. And, you know, when listeners start to get confused, you pop in with narration to say, hey, here's what's happening here. No worries. I got you. The line in between the lines here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna expose this for you so you can, you know, be in on it that just comes through like countless revisions and bringing in lots of fresh ears at different stages in the process. And yeah, I, re- I mean, I got five years of, you know, schooling on how to do that at Gimlet media.
1: Well, I was just going to kind of ask you to phase into that because for a lot of shows, if they're lucky, they get to have a team. If they're lucky they get to have an editor or even someone that just kind of helps with maybe even guest coordinating or you know, all sorts of different stuff that go on behind the scenes. Uh, But to have a sound engineer, a producer, then editors and composers all in one room for one show, your overhead, you know, for a lot of listeners for this podcast will understand, like, I've probably edited the majority of every episode ever published on this podcast. Yeah, not because it's like, I'm a control freak, but it's really like, hey, you got to control overhead, especially because we're bootstrapped. But now you add this whole cost and overhead factor into it. Yes, it does benefit the show on the quality, but there's got to have been some kind of crazy, I guess,
0: curve going from solo to to team. Yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> it's funny you say that. So the that first big recording event we did, we had this sponsor that came in um, as this company out of uh, out of Texas. They sponsored the entire season upfront. They wanted to be our sole sponsor. And I think mm-hmm. it was, you know, thirty dollars or $40,000 for them to own the entire season. And we were psyched about it. And we were like, cool, we've got the money that we need to invest in the content, to host this big event in San, you know, San Francisco and mm-hmm. then produce it. And we started to get down, you know, we hosted the event, we started going through the production process on the backside, and that's when we started to run out of money. And it turns out, you know... <laughs> that 30 or 40 thousand dollars did not did not get yeah. us through producing the entire season but luckily about halfway through the season literally when we're running out of money and we're getting low i think we were down to like i want to say 5 or 10 thousand dollars in savings we mm-hmm. hadn't cracked open the ira you know at this point we hadn't gotten into our retirement savings but we were that was the next step gimlet reached out and well no i had been in touch with them for a while trying to like sell yeah. them on the pitch and you know one Saturday evening, it was like a cold February evening. I'm walking outside barefoot because I didn't expect to be on this call, but like, you know, Matt Lieber from Gimlet Media, was one of the co-founders, just called me up on a Saturday night and was like, Hey, I listened to the pilot episode you sent over and I love it. Like, do you need help with distribution monetization? Like we would love to like, you know, promote this to the audience on the startup podcast. <laughs> of course, like that was my favorite show. So I was like, "Yeah." Oh. Yes. Where do I sign? <laughs> and so, you know, it ended up, ended up taking a couple months for that deal to actually come together. But by the time the deal actually came together and they bought the show, brought us on to Gimlet Media, we were about to run out of money. So it was it was down to the wire and we were, you know, it's so funny how those things work so often. It's, you know, you got to wait till the last minute and then, then that, that connection finally comes through.
1: Yeah. It's always unfortunate because it's like, oh, I really want this. But then it's like the more you want it, the more lo- like, the more it takes. And you're just like, okay, gosh, come on, let's go. But man, what a saving grace though. And, and Gimlet Media, for a lot of the also listeners that maybe listen to this show, I don't know how aware or unaware of podcast networks they are, but you now Gimlet, especially when I started podcasting and, and through the pandemic was really become fascinated by what they've built and, and obviously listening to the startup and pitch and just a couple of other shows that they created yeah Reply is a great show
0: yeah not being produced anymore but i loved that podcast a hundred percent that podcast was awesome
1: and a lot of our sponsors actually tell us like hey you should listen to this podcast and maybe you get some ideas <laughs> all right cool <laughs> <laughs> um it's like is that, is that a good thing or a bad thing i know i don't uh, i can't say i've gotten
0: feedback from sponsors before i don't
1: know what to well, a, a lot of them were listeners of that show and they're like oh we've been sponsoring for a while and this is a podcast we like can you earn anything from it but it's like <laughs> uh, thanks but kind of walk me through this now because gimlet pretty big deal but i think they eventually did they sell to spotify before you joined or did you oh, guys no. join first and then
0: Spotify did the acquisition? Yeah. So we joined Gimlet in February of 2017 and they got bought by Spotify in February of 2019. Okay. So we were with them for two years before that. So really got to see the company grow from, I think it was 40 employees when I joined. And then they were in the, man, I don't know, 120, 130 when they sold to Spotify, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So I really got to see that whole startup journey of a of a media company. Um, yeah. and I mean such a unique experience. There are, you know, very few podcast startups that, you know, make shows like that and really unique with Alex's background and, you know, mm-hmm. from this American life. There's just really nothing quite like that experience and I think I'll always look back on that time with a lot of fondness as yeah. I was really cutting my teeth in audio at one of the best places to learn. And uh, it was a challenging place to work for sure, because I think you, you know, we were constantly measuring ourselves against the shows next to us, like the reply all's and the startups. And one of the things I learned, it took me a while to learn it is like, you know, you, you got to pay a little bit less attention to like the people you look up to and mm-hmm. a little bit more attention to what makes the thing you're doing really unique. Mm-hmm. What are the skills that you have and the viewpoint that you have that they can don't have and like lean more into those strengths and you know I don't know how to teach this but I feel like I learned it was through trial and error and trying to like kind of make my show more like theirs that I realized how that was wrong and how I just needed to make my show more like my show and and really truly understand the identity of what we were doing so you know it took me five years but you know now that we're where we are today I have more confidence and more Of an understanding of our audience and what the pitch is, and almost more importantly, what it is not, than I've ever had before. And it's actually, it's a really, I don't know, it's a cool feeling. I I like, I like knowing that. Yeah. So in 2017,
1: when you joined Gimlet, does that mean they acquired all of the show or part of the show, or was this like a more of a service agreement that turned into, hey, your show is now owned? Okay. So walk me through that. like, uh, and I say, walk me through that often. So I'm sorry for everyone who's hearing me say that like five times, but, um, you learned a lot. more of like, um, uh, but more to like, you know, people ask this question all the time. Cause like you said, people come up to you and go, you podcast full time. You're like, yeah, actually I have for a while. And that's kind of what I've been saying to Like my parents still question, like, so those <laughs> things that we see on Facebook, it's that you get paid to do that. I'm like, yeah, literally <laughs> like, uh, that's the whole sole purpose of what I do. So that question comes up, but like now people always ask, well, what's your extra plan? You're just going to have to end the show one day. Right. It's like, no, you actually get bought. Like there's yeah. acquisitions that happen. So I guess, I don't know. I'm more curious. And again, this episode is a lot more selfish than it is value driven for the listeners, but more out, curious, you're not like, even okay. going to publish it. You're just going to use just, it for your own. Just take it, just take, a, just take notes to keep to myself. It's like, <laughs> All right, guys, this is my episode. But yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious. You know, you go from owning the show, having independence, to then, was there any friction? And I know you say you, you really enjoyed your time at Gimlet, but now you don't own it. So was there any part of you that was like, ooh, man, I, I really wish I had full control of this because you did realize yeah. what made the pitch the pitch?
0: Yeah. I mean, y- yes, I think there was a lot that I gave up to join Gimlet, but at the time I was very excited too to get, give it up because I yeah. felt like I was onto to something with the pitch, but I wasn't fully equipped to execute on the vision that I had. I had a really big vision for the show to just to be huge. And I needed help. I needed support. I truly needed a network and the education of how to how to run the process, how to put together the team. It was something that I lacked. So I was more than happy to join, you know, for the right price. And they brought yeah. me on as a salaried employee after they bought the show and, and all the rights to it. And so It was a good deal for us. You know, personally, it ended up being an outstanding deal for the show. We saw our audience grow from the, I think I had said, you know, 10,000 listeners an episode to, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners Mm -hmm. per episode. And that, you know, was all due to, you know, not only what I learned there, but also just their entire network and the, you know, attention and the audience that they had at, at that network. I mean, they really tried to build, you know, the HBO of of podcasts. That was the whole, whole idea. You know, looking back, I did give up a lot to be a part of that, but I think what I gained at the time based on what I was deficient in far outweighed what I was having to sacrifice. And, uh, you know, standing here now, I now have all of that back. So it's kind of great because now I have all of that knowledge and experience and understanding. And now I have the control too. What's up Slick Talkers? This episode is brought to you by my friends at Minute. And if you haven't
1: heard of Minute, then guess what? They are the perfect co-host solution for your technology stack. Here's why I call them your co-host solution is because they can be the best alerting system for you if there's too many guests at your property or if there is a party that breaks out. And guess what? Their sensors are amazing. You don't get any false positives as in dogs barking, the wind blowing, maybe a door slamming or a glass breaking, that doesn't trigger an alert. Real party noises actually trigger an alert, so that way you're not getting woken up in the middle of the night or alerted in the middle of the day for nothing. They have two outdoor sensors, and these sensors do not need to rely on each other in order to work. So if you are worried about outdoor parties and your neighbor's getting interrupted, then just get the outdoor sensor. If you're worried about big parties inside your really big vacation home, then get the indoor sensors. So that way you can make sure you're covering all the common spaces that you need to. There's a special offer for all slick talkers in the show notes below. And now back to the episode. Well, I was just gonna say this is perfect because it comes full circle. You go through this basic, I guess, couple years of schooling where you're able to be like, hey, I'm just gonna learn. You're getting paid to learn basically. And so now you're back in the the driver's seat. I do want to
0: kind of, I guess, maybe touch on something before we fully swing into this transition. But yeah, yeah. Dear... Sorry for screwing up the timeline. <laughs> like, no, no. Audio basics. I'm making it the job hard for you. <laughs> no, it's great because I want to give the perspective of like what I went through
1: through COVID because I quit my day job as a hotel manager December 27th, 2019. That was my last day. I gave a three right. week notice before. Just over I was two like, I'm years gonna... now. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I'm going to go podcast full time. I've saved up a little bit of money, I quit, you know, I started living way below my means, I just went all in. And yeah. then COVID hit in in March and lost every guest, every sponsor, every kind of pre-planned booking, you know, on the show. And that's when I got drawn in cuz what do you do with all this free time? One, I tried to figure out how to survive everything and like what am mm-hmm. I going to do just to keep I don't think I published an episode until April. So from March to April, I was very quiet. Didn't know much about COVID, so I felt like I couldn't address anything. (laughs) Was trying to figure out what to do with life because I also had another startup that I was doing for vacation rentals, and we had uh, lost all of our bookings and had to refund everything. It was a whole thing, but yeah, it was it was a crazy time. But that's when I found the pitch. That's when I found your show, and that was something that I kind of hung on to. Not in the sense of like I'm going to copy the pitch because we never our platforms and podcast styles are very different so mm-hmm. obviously very tailored towards hospitality i don't narrate over my show like it's just very like story conversationalist but for some reason there was something really special about your podcast i hung on to and then to give a little shameless shout out to margo from hostfully i got to hear that she was actually on the pitch and yeah. she's been a longtime sponsor of the pod actually they've been sponsoring for over two
0: years now or about she's two been years. she's been um, on the podcast twice i love i oh. adore like she is one of my favorite founders because she like she just portrayed so much leadership in Mm -hmm. how she was running her company and you just don't see that many founders at the early stages that have developed such a high levels of competence at leadership and that that to me always stood out and she's someone where i was like oh man if i if i had started a fund like this back when i wished i had had a fund i was like she's someone i would have invested in for sure Uh, i couldn't agree more
1: and i think listening through her episode I started binging more and more of your show. And then I got to episode, I think it was 100. It was like the last episode. and I was like, wait, they haven't published. There's no more. Why? What happened to the pitch? Where? I need more of it. I, I was doing nothing but consuming it.
0: It was obsessive, to be honest. That, and that so, was your COVID binge? Everybody else That was, was my watching. binge. Wait, what was the show everybody was watching at that time? No, Love everybody is was blind. blind and... What's that stupid game? Among Us? Is it Among Us? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah
1: maybe among us and being on clubhouse and um clubhouse yeah yeah (laughs) i just i i just logged in today to see if anything changed and a lot has changed but it's not something i'm a big fan of anymore but anyways sorry clubhouse listeners but um get to the end and i guess kind of walk me through did you guys stop producing during covid or was this a pre-covid thing that ended up because Spotify acquires Gimlet 2019. Yeah. And
0: you said, I think February. So that's right, you know, maybe a, right a little over yeah, a, yeah, year about a year before. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, 2020 was humming along. We were doing our thing. We had, we had just hosted a recording event, I think February, right before COVID hit. And, you know, we kind of did the same thing where we're like, oh yeah. Oh man, that sucks. That's a pandemic. I don't know. You know, quick Google, what's a pandemic?
1: You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: And, uh, it's like, oh, wow, Bill Gates knows a lot about pandemics. That's weird. Um, and, you know, we didn't think much of it. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, changed changed the world. And what how it impacted us, I think the important thing to note is they shut down the studios at Spotify. Mm. And I think if we were still a scrappy startup, we probably would have found a way to keep recording. But at Spotify, it was just like, nope. Nobody's showing up into any offices anytime in 2020, you know, that kept getting pushed back. I think it was middle of the year, 2021, before they opened back up the studios. So we published all through 2020 because we had enough stuff recorded, but we weren't able to invest in, you know, recording new content and bringing people together, you know, cycling. And the way our recording event works, not a lot of people know this, but, you know, we bring in over a three-day period about 18 companies And they cycle through and, you know, the same room where all the four or five investors are, they cycle in and out, you know, over a three day period. So it's a great way to spread a virus if you're looking for, you know, if you're looking for ways to do that. So (laughs) that wasn't something that was going to happen again. And uh, I knew because I'd been doing this show for so long that like we couldn't really do it remotely. It wouldn't be the same show. So we tried to kind of like spin off, you know, stuff. We did call in shows. We did advice shows. Uh, we went back and revisited old pitches and, like, checked in on them. Mm-hmm. And, honestly, I'm super proud of those stories. And it really kind of stretched our storytelling ability learned some new things because of it. But in the end, like, we weren't really making pitch episodes anymore. And, like, our show's called The Pitch. So, you know, anytime you hit play on an episode and you aren't getting a pitch, it's kind of a bad thing. Yeah. So, you know, the audience started to uh, dwindle, like, Not a lot, but like it started to subside a little bit. We weren't getting as many downloads per episode. And so then at the end of 2020, we had a decision to make. Do we keep publishing these non-pitch episodes? Because we still didn't have a date for when the studio was going to open again. So we published, you know, an episode in December of 2020 and then went into 2021, not sure what was going to happen. And so that's kind of when we went on hiatus. And then by the time like studios opened back up at Spotify By the time we were like, you know, all right, let's relaunch the show. It was like, do we even want to be a part of Spotify anymore? Can we take our show elsewhere? Like, you know, so that's when we approached them and said, hey, can we buy our show back? So this was early, earlier on this year. So all of 2021, we didn't publish anything. But then earlier this year, we approached them and said, can we buy the show back? And they said, yeah, if you, you know, meet our terms. So (laughs) can't talk about what those terms were, but. We, yeah. we bought our show back.
1: Well, what did you do during 2021?
0: What was going through your head? <laughs> don't ask that question. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sure everybody has a COVID story. But for me, I learned how to brew beer. I, I now have chickens. I uh, <laughs> tried my hand at gardening. In Florida, you have chickens? Have, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> wow. I have chickens. They, uh love it. You know, they haven't produced eggs in a while. I don't know what's going on, so... Maybe I'm not a good chicken farmer either.
1: Um, no, they're just they're just being lazy.
0: Yeah, built a really <laughs> sick chicken coop. It's literally the chi- the Ritz Carlton of chicken coops. I just <laughs> had way way too much time on my hands. But I mean, honestly, it was really good. I got to like kind of dip my toe into what it would be like to be retired. And uh, yeah, I'm not ready for that. Like, honestly, I don't know if you've ever taken like a you know leave for a while, but six months was good. After six months, I was going stir crazy.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask when did that kick in because I think I've gone maybe a week and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. I want to go back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty burnt out the end of 2020. That was the other piece of this. So I I was kind of yeah. It was just it was a hard year. I mean, I think for a lot of people it was hard, right? I mean, so many people left left jobs and reevaluated their entire lives, moved, you know, packed up and moved to different cities. Like for me, I had already you know, been remote. Like I was working and, you know, I, I've produced this show from Sarasota, Florida since the very beginning. And so I've always been that remote worker. So stayed where I was, but, you know, really needed, needed some time to kind of rethink what, what was next. And turns out what was next was what I had all along, but you know, now it's under my control and excited to, to see what that looks like, you know, going yeah. forward. Well, so you buy the,
1: the show back, which again, for all the listeners, this is kind of crazy to think that a podcast can be sold, but it can, and it can be <laughs> bought back. But I understand, you know, Spotify, big tech. We don't want we don't want to step on toes and, and get shut down going into stuff that we pre- probably shouldn't and can't talk about. But with that process, again, we'll set the stage for the, the listeners. I got to listen to your episode where you pitched the pitch to the investors. Yeah. And it was episode like kind of like the research. Yeah. The resurfacing after dropping, I think you dropped like a two minute little clip saying like, hey, it's me, Josh Muccio and blah, blah, blah. I'm coming back. And uh, I was like, what? I was like, I I got that notification from Apple Podcasts. I was like, holy shit. And yeah, I just got really excited. But then you pitch the pitch to the investors. You have already purchased the show back. So obviously, like you guys are are going back into production, doing your events. Now, you and I got to talk. I think we started with a Twitter interaction and then moved over to a kind of like a conversation over a video call. Yeah. I got emotional during your pitch. I I, I was literally laying in bed, just kind of listening to the podcast, dink around on my phone. And there's a certain part where I kind of just locked my phone and I kind of just like sat up and just like stared at the ceiling. Yeah. And I just listened. And then there was a part with me that was like, damn, I'm so excited. Like, this is really incredible. And I started getting like a little teary eyed and that's when I did the tweet and then we had like that conversation. But for yeah. you, that's just one experience out of hundreds of thousands of listeners who have probably been waiting for this day. I remember tons of times telling friends that, you know, my favorite podcast, I wish they would come back. And it was the pitch. And I, like, no joke. I'm not saying this just because you're on the show. I'm like legit. I literally can call my best friend and be like, "Yo, remember that podcast I told you to wish to come back? And he's like, yeah, like it came back, yeah. dog. And so that's kind of impacted you guys and the way now that you're coming out with this new content, the yeah. new everything so kind of tell me what's going on
0: like what can people
1: expect for the future
0: well do you mind if I ask you a question about that that moment yeah yeah because I I think that my hunch is the reason why you might have got emotional is is a is a specific one to entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur Do do you remember what part of the episode that you felt emotional I think it was right when you got emotional, which then
1: kind of, I think, started the trickle for me. Yeah. But it was, I think, I think you were talking about just the, I feel like I'm going to butcher it if I say it, but there's a part where you're talking about the community behind the pitch. It wasn't just the production and it was the listeners It's see, like the literal audience that really kind of was like, oh my gosh, like just the raving fans that you guys have created over the years. And I think that part really, really hit me. Because you know, I was
0: talking about you. Well, oh, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah. I think if you want a recipe for how to like find out how much people love your shows, <laughs> stop publishing for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Take people, a break. It's like that, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. It, it really mm-hmm. is that. I've had several people tell me like they actually think with everything that has happened with 2020, they they're, they're actually like, I feel like what you did actually makes me more excited about the future of the show. Mm Then if you had just continued publishing and like the next version of the show just launched right after the end of 2020, I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, the fact that we were gone for a while. People realized how much they love the show. But, yeah, I mean, we launched, I mean, 2022 was a crazy year, was an incredible experience. I mean, I've been, you know, hosting this show that's all about startups and entrepreneurship and pitching VCs for five years now. No, seven years. But I'd never actually pitched investors myself. Every business I'd started, I'd bootstrapped. So I was excited. I was really excited to get a chance to pitch investors. And it was really funny to see how their mindset, you know, as tech investors looking for scalable businesses, you know, and software companies, how like their pattern matching for That type of business, our show is just the complete opposite of that. They're just like, I don't understand how do you scale this? And I'm like, well, the audience scales, but the people and the team and what makes this special does not. So we're gonna have to look at other ways to scale this, right? And you could just see the wheels turning and it's just like, can't comprehend, you know. I don't Mm -hmm. see how this becomes a billion-dollar business. And that's the metric that VCs are looking for. And, you know, we kind of bumped up against this for a while. And but I I, I kind of felt like in the back of my mind, I was like, if we could just publish our pitch to listeners, if they could hear what we're doing, I think the the lens that listeners would would apply to our business would be just so different from these VCs. And like, these are the people that we and like, who better to invest and have, you know, be owners in our story than the listeners. But I knew that like we couldn't just I didn't want to just like publish an episode that was like, hey, y'all, we're raising money, you know. <laughs> kind of pitch you. <laughs> like I was like, I know that and other people have been telling me to to pitch the pitch to the investors on our show. And so that's what we did, as hesitant and as, you know, kind of scared as I was, because I knew the kind of pushback that we'd get, you know, because they have a very specific blueprint for what they're looking for. And it really doesn't align with our show. I mean media companies in general, just not a very enticing uh, investment for a lot of VCs. But the way things worked out, we ended up pitching the investors and, uh, you know, turned that into an episode of the show. And it, it was crazy, Well, I mean, we had so many people reach out after they heard that episode to say, oh, my God, I'm so much more excited about the pitch coming back. Also, yeah. I'm so psyched about your vision for this. I want to be a part of it in, in some way. And we also announced in that episode that we're starting a fund. So that, you know, the the Margo's with Hostfully, you know, of the future, we can actually invest in them alongside the investors on our show. And so we've raised almost a million dollars into that fund uh, already and, uh, you know, raised, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars into the media company as well, of which potentially you might be an investor too, <laughs> which would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's been super cool to kind of hack this, you know with our audience instead of going the traditional VC route. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, you asked the question of like what made it so emotional for me? I think it was the comeback more of you have, yes, the break that did kind of make you want more. And it was, it was very much a a craving because it's such a well-produced show. I will say like for any listeners that haven't listened, obviously go listen, but it's so well-produced that I think you, there's something special when audio can capture you like that. And it may not be for everybody. Obviously, it's startups. It's it's I don't know how to describe it. It's like very business much like nerdy. Business nerdy, but like kind of cool. I don't know. I just yeah. like to me, I just get really excited about it. But in order to do that with audio, it takes a really special skill or like you have said, team. And mm-hmm. to have it come back and you got to tell that story in the fashion that you you did, plus now the audience gets to be involved. Maybe in the ve- investing in the media company or in the fund, that's even mm-hmm. cooler. Like to be able to push something out to here to then have someone literally click a button and send money or be like, yeah, yeah, like this, this company is worth investing in. I think there's just something really unique about it. And you can't, like, you don't see other podcasts doing that. You don't see yeah. other media. Like this is such a unique medium. And so, with that being, you know, all kind of bundled into one, the vision of what you guys are creating is, I guess it's like uncomparable to be honest. I don't know if there's other ways where you can be like the pitch and their future versus this, like there you said, it's like the shark tank, but for podcasts, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything really comparable to, to be honest. Like, what can you compare this to?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I really appreciate you saying that. I'm I'm honored. I mean, we've been, you know, believers in this, you know, what we were doing and how it's unique for years, but you know, we also didn't really know what it was either. It took a while for its, for the identity of the show, for us to even understand what we were doing. And we're to the point now, seven years in, where we have a generation of entrepreneurs that have learned from our show and are now starting their own companies. And they credit the pitch for much of mm-hmm. their education and inspiration at, around, you know, how to start a company and how to pitch investors. And that is very cool. But it's taken a long time to get here. And yeah. as you know, building a podcast is not the hyper growth up into the right, you know, viral, no. you know, sensation that you see in lots of other businesses. It's just, yeah. you know, it's so relational the way people listen to episodes. It's so slow the way people start to engage and and, you know, become fans of shows. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people say like podcasts are broken or podcast discovery is broken and uh you know i see what they're saying but i also think like it's that like slowness to create that intimacy that makes it so special because on the other end of that podcast audiences are so sticky that you can create a show that has hundreds of thousands of listeners and then stop publishing for a year and a half right like any other medium medium you'd be like your audience is dead. Like, you've killed this thing, right? Like, it's they don't done in care. a good way, right? Like, it's yeah. done. But in a podcast, you can show back up a, a year and a half later and everybody's, like, psyched your back and all of those listeners get your episodes. And that's mm-hmm. insane. And, like, what other medium do you get a chance to distribute to, like, hundreds, if not thousands of different apps that people can listen to to you? So, like, you have access to all of the platforms. Mm-hmm. But yet the ad service that you use to monetize the show integrates with all of those different platforms. Like that is freaking cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you get the advantage of all the platforms and their audiences, but yet you can still monetize your stuff from one central 100%. place. Like that's bananas name, any other industry that is like that.
1: You, you really can't. And the coolest thing too, I've had, a, I've had listeners the podcast medium in general, I've had listeners, one guy, I think this was a year and a half, two years ago, right before COVID. I remember getting this message on my website directly. Like, I love this podcast. I listen to it all the time when I'm swimming laps in my pool. I'm like, <laughs> what? And he's got, he has got—he literally goes into this whole description of having waterproof headphones. And when yeah. he's swimming laps, he's listening to the podcast. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't do that on a Facebook ad. You can't do that on a, any type of other ad other than through, <laughs> like, podcasting i've never heard of something monetizing
0: laps spent in the pool
1: yeah it's like i don't know there's just something crazy about this whole thing so you're right like it's a very sticky audience but it's also the discovery pool is hard it's i'm not gonna say it's easy you know we're not at hundreds of thousands of listeners per episode you know we're definitely in the tens of thousands but it's like hey this took a long fucking time and excuse my language but it's, it's it's not like a a part where an investor can come up and be like, here's some money, go spend it and get 10 X by this point or else we're not investing again and be profitable if you can. Like, that's not how this works. So I don't know. There's just a lot of hurdles and I feel like podcasting's still very early. And this was kind of my last, one of my last questions I wrote down in my journal to you was going to be, what are your thoughts on the podcast industry today? Now that you've taken control, you have independence. Yeah. You are with a network, but more of an ad service agreement rather than ownership. Yeah, um, it's just a, it's a partnership. We still yeah, own all the IP. Yeah. Yep, 100%. And IP, for anyone who's
0: listening, again,
1: probably not familiar, intellectual property, just a yeah. heads up. It means so, we
0: own the right to take the show elsewhere if things don't work yeah.
1: out at Vox. Yeah, 100%. So you're with this partnership. Now, you get to kind of maybe see in, behind the scenes of another, again, media company that – I wouldn't maybe consider them a startup, but very much a bigger conglomerate Mm. where you got to play in with kind of like Gimlet days back in the day. What do you think about the podcast space outside of the pitch? Have you gotten to experience much out of that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting to see like, you know, some of the acquisitions that we've seen, including, you know, Spotify getting into the space, Amazon buying Wondery. uh, That was another big acquisition. And then you even have, you know, individual shows getting bought and doing, you know, licensing deals with iHeartMedia and, you know, lots of things happening in this space. I I think what has really struck me since, you know, announcing that we were leaving Spotify and going independent is that we like there's just so much more support for independent podcasts than there was back in 2017. Mm -hmm. There are so many different ways to monetize a show to monetize an audience you know whether that's like even just like swag integrations you know with like where stuff gets printed on demand for you know orders like that's super cool to not have to own inventory or you know stuff like you know apple channels and you know monthly subscriptions for like ad free stuff and and the the different you know infrastructure that's popped up around that like you can do that for an independent show and you don't have to do it on you know on Apple or any of these individual podcast apps. Like you can do it independently and own those relationships too, just like you do, you know, with the regular podcast feed. And just in general, I think slash hope that the period where people are trying to platform podcasts and like kind of lock it down and say like, oh, this podcast is only here and exclusive here. I'm, I'm hoping that that's coming to an end and people stop trying to turn podcasts into video and stop trying to apply the Netflix model to podcasts, because I think podcasts are just very unique and what makes it great and the DNA of the open nature of RSS is far better for the ecosystem and far more unique for creators and listeners than the drawbacks of RSS. You know, people talk a lot about like, ah, oh, the technology, it doesn't move fast enough. And it's like, I think at the end of the day, like it's replacing terrestrial radio So the fact that it's on demand is, like, improvement enough, right? Yeah. Like, if people wanted podcasts to be more visual and to have, like, stuff that pops up during ads and things like that, if they wanted that, they would just go to YouTube and watch it there, which they do, right? But, like, that, there's already an ecosystem for that. So we don't need to make RSS like all of these other things. So, you know, stepping back even further, I think, like, my hope is that, you know, looking at, like, Vox Media and some of these others that, essentially are applying the gimlet media model which is like buy shows with rabid fan bases or not buy but either buy or you know partner with these shows that are rabid with rabid fan bases and monetize them better than these shows could do on their own through ads yeah. and then also promote them across the network that's a deal that you really can't beat right yeah. so like what you're doing right with hospitality.fm and like and aggregating these different creators into a network. Like, I think that's the, that's the playbook. Right. And I, I, you know, I don't know if you're buying each of these properties or if it's like, you know, not yet, uh, not yet. Okay. I, I just, I think that there's going to be a player at some point that is really heavy on the idea that like you can publish on one RSS feed and it can go to all the different platforms. And so instead of like creating your own platform and being competitive, you just give all the platforms what they need. And you continue to own the monetization on the ad side and then create other infrastructure around newsletters and, you know, maybe the swag piece and the subscription. Right. And one company starts to aggregate these just through partnerships like Vox Media is doing. But if they could do that at scale, like that could be really, really interesting, you know, to see an acquirer kind of aggregate a lot of these in you know, five, 10, 10 years from now. So. I don't know if that answers your question, but that those are my current thoughts on the space. Obviously, I'm very bullish on the independent podcast space, but I've seen yeah. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of different sides of the podcast business. And so I don't I think I've got a pretty good view of where things are at.
1: Well, that's why I ask. Just because you have seen it from being acquired to going into a startup that grows to an acquisition with big tech media, you know, aka Spotify, mm-hmm. to then kind of going through that different transition to now being back independent. And a lot has changed since 2017. I started my show in 2018. So obviously a lot different, but still, you know, if I, I always tell people back in 2019, even in 2020, I would say, oh, it's easy to start a podcast, buy a $20 mic off of Amazon, (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start a free thing and do this, this and that, and you can create a successful podcast. And now I always tell people like, are you sure? You sure you want to. Not that I'm trying to derive you from it, but it's actually a lot more work. There's a lot more attention to detail. You need to focus on quality versus quantity at the beginning. Like, So there's a lot more now
0: that's changed. Yeah, You do have to play the long game. It is hard, hard to start a show. And that's one of the reasons why I fought so hard to buy the show back because I knew that it would take us years to rebuild an audience akin to the one that we already had at the pitch. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people ask, well, why don't you just go start your own, you know, podcast outside of Spotify? And I was like, "Ah, I'd just rather have the pitch back. Have the baby back. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: Josh, seriously, it's such an honor and like an incredible moment. Definitely a wonderful way to kick off 2023, to have this interview be on the books, to get published and, and to just kind of hear your story or from a, again, selfish point of view, but to kind of share that experience with my audience you know i've developed such a connection with your show To then hopefully that can kind of translate with our listeners that now get to hopefully go check out the pitch and maybe invest in the fund and and be a part of what you guys are building because i think it's so special so
0: again thank you just want to say for being on the show thank you will it was a pleasure it was probably one of the fastest hours of my life and i mean that in a a good way (laughs) <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm
1: glad. I know we can talk a little bit, but hey, it's slick talk. You know, we were, we're meant to talk a little bit. Um, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I, uh, I love yeah. it. So thank you You're so an easy much. conversationalist. I
1: really, I really did enjoy it. Awesome. Uh, seriously, it means a lot. Well, slick talkers, I will make sure to have everything in the show notes so you can check out the pitch, pitch plus, the fund, all the stuff that they're doing. And if you haven't listened, I'll even tag Margot's episode. The episode that I listened to, I haven't listened to our second one, so we'll make sure that if any of you listen to our sponsors at Hostfully, uh, you'll love their episode on the pitch. So just give them a, a little uh, backlog plug there for you. But Josh, thank you again, and for all the listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on SlickTalkThePodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. Have you heard about our friends at Safely? Well, Safely integrates perfectly with your tech stack in order to make sure that you are covered while your guests occupy the vacation home. Now, this is different from business insurance and, of course, homeowners insurance, but this is the best solution out there that's actually underwritten by a real insurance provider to cover a vacation rental operator pros just like you. So, damaged linens, broken glass, ruined couches you name it stuff like that or maybe even an accident on the property is covered by safely all you need to do is take pictures of the damages and make sure that you find a replacement item in order to cover what has been broken or destroyed now this is super great because your homeowners are going to be happy that they're not going to see reduced damage items on their owner statement you just take care of it don't have to hassle the guests and you don't have to see lower income for your homeowners. This is a great retention tool and we love using Safely in my business as well. So now that you've heard about Safely, we're back to the episode and thank you so much for tuning in.